0: Uh, I think that it's been a whole month, if I'm not mistaken, when we began a consideration of this particular passage. And uh, you remember that uh, basically we said that God judged human beings who were living in the world at this particular time. And uh, he judged them because he wanted to, uh, the word that we were using at the time, and the word that I want to use this evening, is that he wanted to bring a limitation on their depravity. Here is what they were intending to do, but God intervened and they could not carry out their Plans. The plan really was in Genesis chapter 11 for human beings to build a civilization that totally rejected God. They wanted to build a city that does not recognize God, is not interested in God. This is in fact an example to us of the first godless society that human beings in their depravity intended to build. They knew that there was a God, but they decided that uh, if there was a God, uh, they were not interested. But if there was a God, they were not concerned that if there was a God, they were not really looking to him. Uh, Rather, they were interested in their own technology. And they decided they were going to make it in this life without God, and that's the kind of city that they were building. And that is how God, in his judgment, intervened in that instance and brought this activity to a grinding halt. But also we say that uh, this is the first instance that we are told of human beings building a city. Elsewhere in the Bible we are told that God has also been building a city for his people. With reference to Abraham, the Bible tells us that he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and whose architect is God. So, At the end of our study that evening, we said there's a sense in which the Bible is a tale of two cities. The city of man and the city of God. Now tonight, I would like us to continue and uh, our consideration this evening for this particular city is really to look at that judgment that God imposed on human beings because of their rebellion. Now, There's no doubt that this was a judgment. It was a a judgment that was intended to put a limit on the sin of human beings. But tonight, I would like to propose to you, there's a sense in which this was not just a judgment, it was, if you like, a beautiful judgment. It was a a creative judgment because as a result of this particular judgment, what happened is that a whole host of languages suddenly came into being. We have been told that up until this moment, uh, human beings were not only using the same language, the Bible tells us, they were actually using the same words But God intervened in such a way that there was confusion because they all began to speak different languages that they could not understand one another. And in the end, although they did not want to be scattered, they unwillingly scattered and spread to the whole earth just as as God had intended them to do. But think about that judgment once again. It's a judgment that brings into being languages that did not exist before. Now there are all these languages. There are all these words that they couldn't understand. Only a group of people could understand, and they, because of the ties of language, they became one group and left and decided it would be better if they lived elsewhere where they could understand each other than live in this place where they cannot understand. So this was a, a judgment But it is a beautiful judgment. It is a creative judgment. God intervenes in the human race and he brings about different types of languages. Now, you recall that we did say this last time, that when you now come into the New Testament, and you come to the day of Pentecost, something like this happens, but in reverse. There's a, there's a miracle there, because, in fact, let me just read it for you, because if I read it, it's, it's, it sounds so much better. It says, they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these people who speak Galileans And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then there's a whole list of them there, Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So, there is a miracle that took place on the day of Pentecost. And what was that miracle? It is that the God who had been speaking Hebrew to the Hebrew people, suddenly he not only is content to have his words spoken in Hebrew, or if you think of it in the days of our Savior in Aramaic, or later in the language in which the New Testament is written in Coin Greek, that here God is speaking in all these various languages of the world the mighty works of God, the gospel of our Savior and Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's interesting what God in judgment does at Babel is that he creates all these languages. And then what he does at Pentecost is to supernaturally empower the apostles that they are able to speak the gospel in all these languages that they neither had learned or understood before by a mighty act of God, they speak the mighty works of God in all these languages they had not understood. So, the point that I would like you to understand this evening is that although the languages that were introduced at Babel were introduced in the context of judgment. What we find in the New Testament is that they do continue. In fact, the languages continue to the very end of the world. Uh, We shall read a few verses in Revelation, but We are not told at any point that these languages are going to fall away, that we all suddenly uh, just learn one language and begin to praise God in that one language, because, and this is very interesting, if you will turn with me to Revelation and chapter 5, Revelation and chapter 5. This is the vision that John sees and it's the vision of what is happening in that church that the Lord Jesus Christ bought with his own blood in chapter 5 and let's read together verse 9 perhaps if you want to understand everything that's going on there we begin at verse 8 when he had taken the book the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamp, each one holding a harp and golden boughs full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And there it is. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased For God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Now, I could read further, but Perhaps the best way is to turn to chapter 7 and verse 9. Chapter 7 verse 9, and after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and Peoples and towns standing before the throne, before the lamp, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hand. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamp. So what John seems to be you know, uh, showing us is that, yes... There are people who have been rescued, who have been converted, who have become Christians and they are from every tribe and tongue and nation and it appears as if in that glorified state when God's people have arrived at home, they will be praising God in all these tongues that uh, were introduced in a context of judgment at Babel. So there is a reversal of Babel, but not in the way in which we would have thought. Perhaps that we are all going to now learn the one heavenly language and, and give thanks to God in that language what it appears is that God is pleased to use all those languages in the praise and worship of his glorious name and honor. Perhaps a a very good example that we can look at might be helpful for us. You remember when the children of Israel asked Samuel for a king They went to Samuel and said, hey, give us a king so that we can be just like other nations. And Samuel was uh, very disappointed. And so he went to the Lord in prayer and the Lord told him, well, give them the king. It's not you they have rejected, it is me that they have rejected. So, if you like, the act of asking for a king was in fact sinful, was in fact something that God clearly says was wrong because they were rejecting him as king over his people. And yet, when you see what happens after that event, is that God will raise Saul. And then after so he's going to raise David. And then in the future, he is going to raise the greater David. And what God does is that he uses the sin of his people as the thing that he uses to introduce the Christ to whom he is going to send to rescue sinners. So, yes. It is something that is wrong and reprehensible but God is pleased to use that to bring about his own gracious purposes. In the same way that although Babel was a context in which God is judging human beings because of their pride, because of their godlessness and yet what he does there by introducing all these many other languages is that at the end of the day, as the purpose of his grace, he intends to use them for the worship, for the praise, for the greater glory of his majestic name. No wonder the Apostle Paul Exclaims in Romans chapter 11 who has known the mind of the Lord because what we do as human beings is sinful and reprehensible but as we have so often done in the past God takes the sinful and wicked acts of human beings and he uses it as the background as the backdrop in which he displays his amazing grace to sinners and to the assembled universe. So in the question of languages, yes, all these, by God's grace, it appears in the New Testament, will be sanctified and all of them used to express fully the worship of God by all those who are the redeemed of God's people. Now, if you think about it, it does probably make sense that this is the way God intends to use them. Because if you know anything about language, it is, language is oftentimes very, very limited. I mean, there are some words, you know, and I don't know how many of you have been uh, exposed to translating the Bible from one language to another. One of the things that you find, you find the difficulties that interpreters find is they find there's no word in that language for something. So what do you do? Or there is something in this language that cannot be expressed clearly because there's no word for it in English. So because of that, there are all all these limitations. But if you put all of these languages together, then they begin to complement each other. And therefore, as a result of that, the worship that God's people give for all these languages that have been redeemed by the grace of God becomes greater and better because they complement each other. Now, the obvious question therefore that means that does it mean that when we go into heaven we will, like the apostles on the day of Pentecost, begin to understand and speak all the other languages of all God's people who will be there. Uh, That is possible, but it's not very clearly indicated. Or because we're going to be there for all of eternity, we will have the time to learn them. (laughs) Again, it's not very clear, but what is clear is that as a result of God's amazing grace, when all these limitations of these languages have all been removed, these languages complement one another and they help us to give to God the glory that is due to his name. So you notice then that that began as a judgment, because of human pride, because of the ungodliness of man, because it is an act of God. It's something that's actually wonderful. Human beings are better for it because God's grace is working in this. So, You may have heard the statement that whenever God brings about his judgment it's always tempered with mercy. And this is what we mean. There are all these beautiful consequences that come as a result of God's judgment. Yes, he does judge sin and harshly but at the same time he tempers his judgment mercy, and there are all these interesting, beautiful consequences because it is God who is at work. I think that that thought is most clearly displayed in the life of Joseph. Remember, I think even this morning, uh, Bob referred to Joseph's story being sold into slavery And you can imagine that when that whole thing was taking place, it did really look like a terrible tragedy. But now when you look at it from the standpoint of what God was actually intending, that God was going to use Joseph, Joseph was going to rescue his brothers from certain death because of famine, if you look at it from that vantage point, and you see what looked so ugly is in fact so beautiful because God is working even when human beings act in a depraved and sinful and a wicked manner. Even when they do things that you say to yourself, how could they? God overrules it for good, for his honor, and for his glory. And that's exactly what he did in Genesis chapter 11, when human beings in their pride rejected God and began to build a civilization that turned its back on God. He intervened in judgment but he intervened in a beautiful judgment and brought about all these languages that in the end he will sanctify and use for the worship and honor of his majestic name. What a great God we save. What a glorious God he is. And how true are those words. With men, It's not possible. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Not even your sin and rebellion will stop or thwart the gracious purposes of God. In the end, they turn out to actually work for the good, for the glory, for the honor of his majestic name. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But it's probably one of the things in which the church has been extremely successful the last 2,000 years is to actually go into the world and find a group of people whose language has never been written and They sit down together and they come up with an alphabet and they translate the Bible for them. This has been going on very, very well. In fact, recently I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Uh, Now, there are so many Bible apps on the cell phones these days. There is one particular one. I could not believe it. Not only do they have, you know, Bibles in various languages, they even have people reading them in those various languages. I found, to my account, about 10 languages from Zambia that I can actually listen to the New Testament. That's just me. I'm sure that if I looked for all the other countries around, you will find this is one area in which God in his gracious providence has allowed men to have this technology and the gospel and the word of God is just spreading like wildfire because God intends to make sure that the message of the gospel reaches to all the nations of the world before the world comes in. And therefore, I would like to encourage you that whenever you hear there are people who are working to translate the Bible, pray for them and support them in any way you can because they definitely are doing what God intends to be done. The works of God to be proclaimed in every language, every time, in every nation, before the world to an end one day I hope that we will have somebody from this particular congregation involved in Bible translation in some remote part of the world where people have a language that has not yet been written has no alphabet they can put their shoulder to that wheel and listen to people's language over a number of months and begin to put down an alphabet and then translate the New Testament, then translate the Old Testament, so that at the end of the day there will be nobody who will have an excuse because God's word spread to the rest of the world. That is what God is doing, and it is... A joy to see it happen in our own day, in our own generation. God's word is spreading far and wide. It all began right here in Genesis chapter 11 at the city and the tower of Babel. There was God's judgment. It was a beautiful judgment. It was a gracious judgment. It was a judgment God has used for his own purposes and glory. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.